My friends, today, of course, is our fifth Sunday of our Lenten journeys. Today, we enter Passion Tide, the last two weeks of our Lenten journeys. The crucifixes and the statues are now covered, reminding us of the truly sacredness of this time, helping us, perhaps, to turn our attention more perfectly to the Word. The word, of course, of Holy Scripture, to the words, the prayers of this Holy Mass, and to heighten our excitement, our longing for the resurrection, our longing, of course, for Easter joy. Today, we have a very familiar narrative of the woman caught in adultery, and a very familiar theme, mercy. God's mercy is without limit. It is, as the chaplet of divine mercy beautifully says, the source of life which gushes forth for souls. The ocean of mercy is opened up for the whole world, especially here, here in this holy mass. For God's mercy is unfathomable. It envelops the whole world as Jesus empties himself out upon us. And mercy is generously offered, and freely available to each of us, especially here at Holy Mass. The Gospel clearly illustrates our Lord's mercy, foreshadowing Christ's redemptive passion and death. And John makes reference to uh, some key points here that connect this Gospel passage to our Lord's passion. First, he mentions the Mount of Olives, the exact spot Jesus would spend his Holy Thursday night where he would sweat blood as he took on our sin, took on our sufferings, endured his agony, only to be betrayed by one of his buddies. The early morning is mentioned. Also, on the early morning of Good Friday, Jesus would be taken to Pilate where he would be condemned to death. John mentions the temple area. Our Lord's passion would fulfill temple worship in himself. And finally, the people started to come to him, is referenced by John. This would more perfectly be fulfilled by our Lord's prophecy that when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. Today, our Lord forgives a single woman's sin, adultery a capital crime required stoning according to Mosaic law. Israel was, of course, often depicted as an adulterous wife in Scripture. So she represents Israel. But we are the new Jerusalem, the new Israel. So she today represents us. She represents all of humanity. Today, misery meets mercy. She is made to stand in the middle, as our Lord would later be nailed to the cross in the middle of two thieves, where misery met mercy. She is humiliated by the scribes and Pharisees, as Jesus would later be humiliated. Long before Chris Rock was slapped, Jesus was slapped. And he was spit upon. He was mocked. Horrible things yelled at him. Mer misery has met mercy. The adulterous woman was unfaithful, 
But Jesus, God, is always faithful. She was caught in the very act of committing adultery. There does not seem to be any doubt about her guilt. But that does not actually seem to be their point, does it? For the scribes and Pharisees were simply trying to test our Lord. After all, where was the man? Where was he? He too was guilty of a capital crime, but where was he? Their question was simply to trap our Lord. It was designed to either incriminate him or discredit Jesus. They intended to show that Jesus' teaching on God's merciful love contradicts Mosaic law. If Jesus authorized the stoning, not only would he contradict his own message of mercy, but he would also have been reported to the Romans for criminal wrongdoing. After all, the Roman occupying forces forbid the Jews to admit to administer capital punishment. However, if Jesus forbid the stoning, the Pharisees would then discredit him as a false messiah. After all, he would have then been contradicting the law of Moses, which would have required stoning by a death by stoning for this capital crime. But Jesus avoids their trap entirely. He doesn't authorize the stoning. He does not incriminate himself. And he remains consistent in showing compassion, showing mercy toward sinners. Nor, of course, does he contradict Moses and compromise his authority to teach. The genius of our Lord's response actually turns the tables on those who attempted to entrap him, forcing them into their own trap. They likely, of course, didn't consider themselves sinners and therefore could have thrown the stones. Yet then they would have been violating Roman law. Yet by not throwing stones and simply walking away, they now appear to the crowd that had gathered there to be sinners in their eyes. Truly brilliant, our Lord's uh, technique here. And how did our Lord do this? By repeating two very simple acts and by showing great mercy. Jesus bends down. He does this twice, and he writes on the ground before straightening up. First, of course, to address the scribes and Pharisees, and secondly, to speak to the woman. St. Bede tells us that by bending down, Jesus teaches all of us to bend low in humility to examine ourselves both before and after addressing the faults of our neighbor. If our Lord's example becomes our practice, then we will avoid, as he did, the extremes of being unjust and unmerciful toward our neighbor. But what did Jesus write on the ground? It's a million-dollar question. There has been a great deal of speculation over the last 2,000 years. Perhaps Jesus was just doodling, a sign of his indifference, a method perhaps to sidestep their obvious trap. Or, as St. Jerome believed, he wrote down the sin of the scribes and Pharisees. He read their hearts and minds and hoped for their conversion by writing down their sins. Or perhaps the most popular explanation believed by Saints Ambrose and Augustine and many others is that Jesus is here in this gospel fulfilling a prophecy. Jeremiah 17, 
Those who forsake the Lord, it says, shall be written in the earth, because they have rejected the fountain of living water. Jesus had just in chapter 7, one chapter earlier, right, had identified himself as the fountain of living water when he said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. No one knows what Jesus wrote on the ground, but we do know that after he wrote, he stands and says, Let the one among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Then Jesus does something I think very interesting. He bends down again, and he continues writing, and he is silent. His silence allows the accusing men to examine their own hearts and to choose to choose repentance through God's merciful love, this merciful love that is being offered to them right there, or to reject this merciful love and harden further their hearts. They slowly drop their stones and walk away, beginning with the elders. And Jesus is left alone. Left alone with this woman. Of course, the law of Moses required two or three witnesses to be convicted of a capital crime. So Jesus is both faithful to the law while also showing her great love and mercy. And it reveals the true meaning of divine mercy, which always leaves open the possibility for repentance, while emphasizing the great respect for the dignity of the human person, which not even sin can take away from us. Mel Gibson in his Passion of the Christ powerfully depicts this scene. He depicts the adulterous woman as Mary Magdalene. I know many of you have seen this incredible film, but in this scene, Mel Gibson has Mary Magdalene cowering on the dusty ground as the angry crowd stands ready to stone her. Jesus steps into the scene. Of course, we hear no words, but we know what he says, right? If you are without sin, you can throw that first stone. But one by one, they drop their stones and walk away. Then Mary Magdalene's hand slowly reaches out and touches our Lord's foot. She looks up at him with wonder and with deep gratitude and total disbelief. Her life has been spared. She knew in that moment that she was saved. Jesus simply reaches down and he takes her hand and he smiles at her, lifting her up to new life. Jesus is telling us what Pope St. John Paul II would later so beautifully echo. Christian forgiveness is not synonymous with mere tolerance but implies something much more demanding of us. It does not mean overlooking evil or even worse, denying it. He teaches us to distinguish the evil act, which must always be condemned, from the person who has committed it, who must always be loved, who must always be shown mercy, who must 
always be the one we reach down to, to give them a lift up, to smile at them with a smile of love and mercy. God patiently awaits repentance. Too often, we identify the sinner with their sin. Too often, we, like the scribes and Pharisees, entrap and convict ourselves in doing so. But the Heavenly Father sent His Son into the world to offer everyone a second chance, to offer everyone an out, a path to freedom, a way to salvation, a way to everlasting peace and joy. The gospel is about merciful love. It is always about merciful love. It is always about forgiveness. And since the gospel message transcends time and is always relevant, no matter what condition we find ourselves in today, no matter what condition we may find ourselves in tomorrow, we too can always open ourselves to deeper levels of conversion and receive our Lord's forgiveness for our sins, receive mercy. The gospel reaches through time, and Jesus says to all of us here today, he always says this to us, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin, do not sin anymore. My friends, may we humbly reach out in this holy mass, and touch the foot of our Lord's cross. And in a few moments, as I lift up these sacred hosts, may we all look up with awe and wonder, look up with deep gratitude, look up with eyes of faith, knowing that we have been saved, that our lives are being spared. May we all allow Jesus to then reach down and take our hands and receive his smile, receive his grace, allow him to lift us up to new life. My friends, it is not too late to have a very good Lent. Today, Jesus bends down and writes in the dust. A reminder of how we began our Lenten journeys on Ash Wednesday, it seems so long ago. Remember that we are dust, and to dust we shall return. Five weeks ago, we began Lent admitting the hypocrisy of our lives at times, but recognizing that while we are all sinners, we have fallen in love with the God of mercy. We have fallen in love with our Savior, who has always been in love with us. So here, in this Holy Mass, right now, we turn to our eternal God, in whom mercy is endless and the treasury of, of compassion inexhaustible, asking him to look kindly upon us and increase his mercy in us, so that in difficult moments we might not despair nor become despondent, but with conf great confidence submit ourselves to his holy will, which is love and mercy itself. And may God be praised. Amen.